Hey everyone, Austin here. Just checking in real quick before we start our episode in earnest. I'm recording this on July 25th of 2020, and it's been a bit over a month or so since our last episode came out. Of course, right now we are still in the middle of the coronavirus crisis, and there's a lot of civil unrest as a result of the murder of George Floyd, and uh, just generally one depressing news story after another. It's been a difficult time for a lot of us to try and stay focused on anime and podcast stuff right now, but, you know, we're trying our best, and we're all hanging in there. I hope you all can say the same. I also wanted to say a couple words about the passing of Anime News Network's Zach Burchie on May 21st of 2020. I never knew or met Zach personally, but I've been a fan of his for many years, and he was a major influence on my desire to get into anime podcasting and anime panels. His intelligent and passionate critique combined with his love for anime as a community made a huge difference in the English-speaking anime world, and he is sorely missed by so many people. My heart really goes out to his friends and family during this really tough time. Just make sure to reach out to your friends and loved ones and let them know that you're there. We're all in this together, guys. Anyways, uh, I hope you guys enjoyed today's interview. Justin and David from Boomslank are incredibly passionate and interesting guys to hear from, and I think you guys will enjoy this interview quite a lot, so enjoy! Hey everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Third Impact Anime Podcast, where we talk about anime, anime-related things, and sometimes talk to cool guests and whatnot. I am Austin, here, being your host for this episode, and I am joined by my lovely co-host... Tori, hello. <laughs> Hi Tori, how's it going? <laughs> I'm good, how are you? I'm doing pretty well, doing pretty well. And it is not just us on this episode today, we are joined by... Two amazing special guests. We are joined by Justin and David of Boomslank. How are you guys doing today? We're doing pretty good. How's it going? Doing well, thank you. It's going good for us. And we wanted to talk to you guys about, you know, what it's like to um, be creators in this space, to do what you guys do. You often show up at artist alleys and at conventions all across the United States. It's quite possible that a lot of our listeners are wearing your shirts right now or looking at your posters on their walls right now. I'm actually wearing Space Cowboy as we speak. I saved this shirt to uh, <laughs> specifically for this interview. It's it's a regular shirt in my rotation. And, awesome. um, I forgot mine today. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you guys, like us, are also based in North Carolina. So, you know, cool NC people. 
But yeah, we uh, really appreciate you guys coming on the show and talking about the cool art that you guys do. Oh, thank you for inviting us. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's an honor. I guess just really quick, just to go over again what Boomslank is, I've got your quick bio here. Uh, so Boomslank is an anime-inspired apparel and lifestyle brand based out of Raleigh, North Carolina. They create high-quality t-shirts, posters, phone cases, stickers, and more to, quote, make anime a lifestyle and to express what they want to see in the world of anime. So I guess before we get into you guys talking about you know, the art that you make and the posters that you make and the t-shirts and all of that stuff, I guess. Let's go back to the very, very beginning. So um, if I understand it, you guys came to the United States at a pretty young age. Was that, um, was coming to the U.S. sort of um, the thing that eventually got you exposed to anime for the first time? Uh, I guess I'll start off. Uh, yeah, well, so we, we weren't exposed to anime while we were in Nigeria. In fact, um, even shortly after we came to the United States, we didn't know there was a difference between anime and regular uh, American cartoons, uh, even DC mm -hmm. cartoons. So um, the first time we saw uh, an anime show, we, we just thought that this was a really good cartoon. Like, whatever this is, it feels different and it's really good. I think maybe the first anime we saw was Escaflone. Was it Escaflone mm -hmm. or Blue yeah. Sub 6? Like, yeah. honestly, like, I can't... Cartoon Network was, uh, had, was doing them. You know, now that I think about it, um, I think Speed Racer was the first mm -hmm. anime we saw. Yeah, that's what I'm going to mention. Mm -hmm. yeah. Because, but Speed Racer was in Nigeria, and Mm -hmm. We didn't know Speed Racer was anime. We just thought it was sure. a cartoon. I mean, we were just, you know, a bunch of kids and, you know, we're watching TV and we're just enjoying. Mm -hmm. In fact, not only Speed Racer, but Voltron. We, we mm -hmm. uh, see, he, he, David just mentioned Transformers. And mm -hmm. my understanding is Transformer has a bit of an interesting history. So mm -hmm. I'd like to say Transformer is anime, but I'm not entirely sure because I know, like, it's been licensed by Mattel, and Mattel is an American mm -hmm. co co company, but Transformers mm -hmm. definitely has that anime vibe, at least the original ones. Um, but <laughs> but yeah, like, I mean, we weren't completely aware of anime till we came to the United States. I mean, uh, this is to say that, despite the fact that we watched Speed Racer and Voltron and Transformer, we just thought that, oh, these are really fun cartoons. Uh, but it wasn't till we, till we came to the US that we noticed uh, a pattern of these shows and they all had something similar that we couldn't quite see in the American cartoons. We, we knew there was some mm -hmm. difference, but we couldn't articulate what the difference was. Mm -hmm. um, so when do you think you first became aware of anime as a thing? Like, there, oh, there is a distinction between Escaflone and um, Beauty and the Beast. Like, do you, do you think you could point to a moment or... At, or um, how how you came across that information? I, 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 I um, honestly, my memory is a little different. I feel like we actually saw Gundam Wing before we saw Escaflone because you brought mm -hmm. it back from school. Actually, you know, it's, okay. So the but, okay, so that's the problem. <laughs> I think the question is like, at what point did we just say Eureka? 
it's anime. That's what it's right. called. <laughs> <laughs> it's Your epiphany, epiphany moment. Yeah, uh, right. Okay. You know, like so much pain. When was the, yeah, was the so first I, one correct. you saw? Yeah, so I, at what point did we like? No, I want to see more of this because it's called anime, and I want to see more of it. Like versus, I want to see more of this unique cartoon. Um, I definitely think that when we saw Escaflone, we didn't know at first. But for me, I do remember because I was so enthralled with um, uh, the way it looked, the way it was drawn. Um, I could definitely tell something was different. Uh, like mm-hmm. in the same time, and this was about you know the same the first time that um, my my parents had installed uh, satellite. Satellite was a cable. Yeah, was mm-hmm. yeah, satellite. Yeah. 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 So yeah, before it's... this, we just had you know like regular right TV. Ah. Uh, yeah, I think I think that's it. I think when we became aware was when we had a constant exposure to more anime. So this was around the time we got the satellite direct TV. Before that, we mm-hmm. were just watching regular local television. And then we got direct TV and we discovered Cartoon Network. And then we saw uh, Dragon Ball Z, Outlaw Star, and mm-hmm. uh, Digimon. And then we were like, okay, hold on a second. Something is up here. Like, these guys... Mm-hmm have there's a lot going on here and at some point somebody in high school probably told us it was called anime and then that was when it stuck <laughs> i think what i think what made it um the turning point was that constant exposure to various different versions of those shows at once mm-hmm. um uh you, this was around the time tsunami was actually watchable and like <laughs> it was on at a reasonable time of day yeah correct you know it, it's probably uh, that was a very subjective statement i, I don't know what's going on with sure. cartoon network these days but back in the day i can't stay up all night like i used to so yeah, yeah you yeah, know like only one night know, a week it's yeah midnight or 11 30 yeah you know, it, like even back now. yeah even back when they had adult swim it was actually mm-hmm. watchable now like it went from mm-hmm. watchable anime to like tom sees the mayor and some weird things that you can't watch while eating <laughs> like like you said. but um but yeah so yeah long story short it was a friend in high school that told me it was called anime and this same friend had like um this was back in the day of divex i don't know if you guys remember divex um it's like a codec for watching stuff you download off of uh yes Kazan, oh yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah i i we just We're dated ourselves doing anything <laughs> no we we just <laughs> essentially dated ourselves right there like mm-hmm. carbon yeah, right. dated ourselves but um mm-hmm. he would give me a bunch of cds um of this divex encoded videos of gundam wing and mm-hmm. i come home and my brothers would just surround the, the computer and we just watch it together and um yeah, I, you know, I'm enjoying it. I didn't know it left such a deep impression on David at the time that he mm-hmm. eventually just started drawing this stuff. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, so I don't remember the exact date and time, like the year, but <laughs> it was like um, definitely around 2007. Yeah, around that general time. Well, actually, not even 2007, mm-hmm. like... 2000. Oh, my my yeah. memory is criminally yeah, bad. Yeah, 2000. Because <laughs> I was in high school. Yeah, I was yeah. I was still in high school at the time. So yeah. maybe mm-hmm. it was 2000. You know, mm-hmm. we're watching Gundam Wing, and I'm like, mm-hmm. 
this stuff is unbelievable you know mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. um so yeah I, that was when the word anime became a thing so i knew what to look for on kaza um like um mm -hmm. uh i you know you i looked up blue sub six uh what else did i like mm -hmm. I, I, now i could look up things with precision because i was like I'm looking for anime. Yeah. Do you have any more anime? Yeah. You know, mm -hmm. so like while I can I can't speak to exactly precisely when we noticed that this form of animation was you know unique, different. Um, I can actually pinpoint when uh, my interest went from just consuming it as a you know a casual watcher of something cool to <laughs> actually becoming more interested in the creation aspect of it. And um, a very good friend of mine, while I was in middle school actually, uh, gave me Spirited Away, um, the DVD, and I watched it. And this was the first time I discovered that DVDs had like the little special features of documentaries right. at the end. Mm. And I watched the, there was a, a, a documentary about the behind the scenes for um, mm -hmm. Miyazaki, Studio Ghibli, um, their whole crew and everything. And I am not a huge, I, well, I wasn't at that time when I was young. I am now. I was not a huge documentary person. I, I love cartoons. Mm -hmm. um, but I surprised myself because I sat there and I watched all of it. And mm -hmm. I think this was really the turning point because um, I, in the documentary, you saw uh, every, like the hard work that went into it. Like these guys would stay up till 4 a.m working some of the lead animators wouldn't even go home and you could see like the 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 stress but also like when they would um accomplish a certain milestone they would celebrate and like they would literally just live in that studio and when i just saw that i was like the show was great but i can definitely say this had a, a stronger impact seeing that work mm -hmm. behind it the creative aspect of it um, there was a part where they visited a, vet, a veterinary hospital. Oh, that's kind of redundant, isn't it? A vet. And they, <laughs> so do you remember the scene where um, um, Chihiro uh, has to administer the medicine to Haku? Um, in oh, his, yeah. Yeah, mm -hmm. in his dragon form. And just yes. how visceral that was as she was like, shoving that medicine into his mouth and the dragon was drooling yeah. and writhing and everything. And, you know, I think everyone who watched it, that scene was like, it was kind of visceral. Like, wow, they are, yeah. they took a second to animate this scene. You could yeah. almost feel your skin crawling. They went to a vet, um, selected <laughs> a golden retriever volunteer and actually <laughs> kind of performed that uh, whole scene and um, videoed it for reference. And that's when mm -hmm. I was like, wow, this, the amount of work that goes into this stuff is definitely, and don't get me wrong, I love, I love me some Western cartoons. I love the Batman animated series, one of the, my favorite things <laughs> in life. Um, but I started to realize why anime felt like something more, um, you know, like you watch an anime and you feel like you've seen a, um, a, a Hollywood movie or something, that effect. And it's because of the right. amount of work that goes into it. So yeah, um, that was the first time I really started to appreciate um, anime from the the creative or the work aspect. And then mm -hmm. I was like, I didn't, of course, decide, oh, I want to make this a living. I just was like, I want to 
do this. I, w I want to vicariously um, uh, pretend to be a Studio Ghibli employee or something. And I started drawing <laughs> right. crazy. You, you, uh, you connected with their... You connected with their passion and really identified that, it seems. For sure, for sure. It was etched in my memory. Yep. I have terrible memories. So to remember what I right. just recalled with such detail <laughs> is saying something. I have a very similar story with myself. I mean, I'm not an artist per se, but I am a huge appreciator of the animated medium, obviously. I run a podcast on it. Um, and I can remember whenever I was a kid, there I had a, a VHS tape of Peter Pan. And after you would watch Peter Pan, they had like a 45-minute documentary on the making of Peter Pan. And it like terrified me because there was some really creepy concept art of mm -hmm. Captain Hook in it. Um, and I was a glutton for punishment. I kept watching it because I think kind of because it scared me. But you know, and it, in addition to that, just sort of seeing the process behind animation and how that works really instilled in me a an early appreciation for the animated medium, even above you know live action film, because of how much has to go into it, how much of it has to be created. Um, no assets exist before you create something. Uh, either drawn or painted or uh, or animated by extension. It all has to be fabricated. You don't get the luxury of being able to um, just take your camera to a you know scenic valley that already exists and you don't have to create that valley. Uh, you don't have the luxury of having actors and things like that. So that really showed me that animation is something unique. So Animation is that whole like creating something from nothing. Um, and I right. think that's probably why I I kind of am not the biggest fan of like CG animation. Mm -hmm. um, just because yeah. I think my brain can feel that, you know, with CG you have the wire mesh and everything. But with uh, hand drawn, right. you're drawing, each frame is a new drawing. Each frame is a new drawing. Mm -hmm. and. I just I just respect that ability to create you know uh, that sequence out of nothing and it flows mm -hmm. absolutely beautifully and just to touch mm -hmm. on what you were talking about earlier about um, uh, live like the the feeling is more intense than when you watch like a live action show um, mm -hmm. you know I think every every otaku or weave out there can attest to to this like. You, we've all experienced this when you're watching like a really really cool well done animation sequence and you get goosebumps um usually oh, yeah. Yeah. like the combat scenes yeah like yeah. everybody has experienced yeah, this I would perfectly There's a whole subgenre of otaku like the sakuga bros that basically live and thrive off of that they they inject it straight into their veins <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, it it doesn't even have to be um combat animation like sometimes it's right. just a well-placed story and how the animators present it um like certain yeah. scenes from death note when certain reveals uh and you're just like your your skin breaks out in hives i have never experienced <laughs> that from from an uh a hollywood movie and you know that's yeah. one yeah. of the things i just kind of reinforced that um anime the, the, this japanese scale of storytelling and presentation through animation it's truly unique. Um, it is truly mm -hmm. unique. And I, I just absolutely adore what they do.
Whenever you started experimenting with uh, drawing and being an artist whenever you were young, um, sort of what was your next step after that? Did you take uh, art classes in school? What was your experience there sort of uh, cultivating yourself as an artist and growing from that point? Oh my gosh. So I am completely self-taught. Um, everything was just the, um, and kind of this burning passion uh, to, to, to draw like they... Um, anime creators that I've, I started growing to really look up to. Um, I never took a, uh, an art class. Um, first of all, what I started doing was um, I shortly got into Naruto um, after I had seen um, Spirited Away. And oh mm -hmm. my goodness, Naruto, especially the earlier seasons, the earlier episodes. Pre Shippuden. Yeah, pre Shippuden. In fact, even pre pre that. Um, like the first. <laughs> 10 or 20 episodes, um, mm -hmm. the animation quality, and, and Masashi Kishimoto, the mangaka, he really created, uh, if you really look at Naruto, the art style, especially the character design, is actually quite, it's quite unique. Um, it's, not, mm -hmm. it's not very similar to a lot of other um, animes. Uh, it's actually mm -hmm. subtly unique, uh, the way he draws eyes, even his coloring style. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, and then he... Yeah, it's a little softer than some of the more traditional shonen styles. Yeah, some of the more traditional shonen styles, well, just traditional anime styles in general, especially during that time. Right. Um, I also mm -hmm. watched, and now, just because I'm, I'm exalting Kishimoto doesn't mean that I am um, besmirching any other anime. Like, I also watched Cardcaptors sure. from the yeah. Camp oh, Studios. Yeah. yeah, and I love that. Now, Cardcaptors is probably what I would describe as a more traditional by-the-book anime style. Like, if you buy any how-to-draw anime book, you open it up, it's gonna look <laughs> a lot like Cardcaptors. It's gonna look a lot like um, yeah. Sailor Moon. Um, even okay, um, <laughs> you, you you brought it up, so so I have to ask about the how to draw anime and manga books. You go back and look at a lot of those right now, and it's like, what were they thinking? <laughs> <laughs> well, well, you know that kind of goes back to what we said earlier about the the subtle evolution of anime. Even the art has evolved. Um, so when you look at those old how to draw books, you can tell that they're they're dated, and it's just their product yeah. of their times. Now, buy some yeah, current ones, yeah, especially mm -hmm. the ones that you know you get from Japan, and everything is up to date and pretty snazzy looking. Yes. Um, but yeah, yeah. the old ones, you know, they're kind of dated, so you kind of have to judge them within that context. Mm -hmm. They're they're kind of like a sort of a photocopy of what um, an American, uh, what an American author who is writing a how to draw manga book sort of has as their perception of anime in the early 2000s i um i remember reading that uh the blue one like if you if you saw i mean that is the one that you think of when you think of those books the old blue one um by scholastic apparently all the art in that thing was done by like a 12 or 14 year old girl wow like she was young when she made that so that's actually pretty impressive in that, in that yeah, yeah. <laughs> i mean first of all that's work um, yeah, you know, commission a 14-year-old to do the art for a book that you are going to publish, that's <laughs> kudos. Um, but yeah, yeah, um, I, I unfortunately never really had experience with those books, oddly until <clears throat> I got much older and I had my own money and I <laughs> discovered Barnes & Nobles. Um, mm -hmm. Back then, you have to understand, when I was in high school, 
um, the parents only are gonna give you only gonna spend on stuff for your education. Um, all sure. the mangas that I had I had ever read, I borrowed from friends. I had really, really good friends because you know they saw I could draw and I, I drew for them, so they were like, here, you know, what do you think about this and stuff like that. Um, so yeah, I never really got into those how to draw books. Um, which honestly is probably for the best. I don't want to denigrate them as a resource, but um, I, I feel like if for, for anyone out there in your audience that's listening and wants to get into drawing um, anime, I would definitely say, you know, just draw the source. Um, you don't have to buy like these, one of these how to draw books. There are a lot of references online. Um, but what I did was I did a lot of fan art. So I would draw a lot of characters from shows that I enjoy. So Yu Yu Hakusho, I love the character Genkai from, from that mm -hmm. show. I just thought, because that was my first, the first anime I had ever watched where I saw like, if it just a ridiculously powerful uh, female character, especially one that was mm -hmm. old. In a small frame. In a small, yeah, in that yeah. small body. And she was just mm -hmm. part of my French kicking ass like crazy. <laughs> and, and I'm like, <laughs> it was so novel. And I thought, this, like, this yeah. is so cool. Um, so I, I really, um, I said drawing her and then I, um, but also I also love drawing the uh, Toguru, the villain. And this gave me um, uh, practice with versatility. So just like Justin mm -hmm. said, um, Genkai was, you know, a, a small uh, lady, and then Toguro was this really muscular, roid-out dude. And this uh, <laughs> drawing both of them gave me the experience of drawing different body types. So right there, mm -hmm. the reference was there. You know, I didn't have to go hunting or buy expensive books. Um, just use what you're seeing. Get those um, screen captures from from the internet, and just draw. Just draw every day. Um, mm -hmm. And honestly, mm -hmm. and we'll probably get to this later, I, I think that back then, um, I actually drew a lot more um, than now. And I'll, I will get into where that statement makes sense, because given my current profession, you may be like, that that's a little odd. But I think as we get on, I'll explain <laughs> that in a bit more detail. Um, but yeah, that's kind sure. of um, where I got into... Oh. And stop me because I get into rambling. It's a bad habit of mine, so you guys kind of have to be my control. Okay. <laughs> well, carry on for now. You're great. You're fine. <laughs> you ask good questions, so the spigot <laughs> is on. <laughs> um, so uh, I also mentioned Kishimoto. Um, what Kishimoto really instilled in me before I started reading his mangas, uh, well, his manga, um, Naruto, I actually did mostly character creation. I drew characters over and over again. Um, but when I discovered Naruto, something changed. Uh, specifically, when I discovered the Naruto manga. And that was an appreciation for backgrounds. That was the first time that it really hit me that drawing backgrounds is not only fun, but it's also a really, really uh, uh, an, an amazing um, uh, practice. Uh, and, and something to explore. Kishimoto's backgrounds are stunning, mm -hmm. absolutely stunning. Mm -hmm. um, I saw a, there's a meme, um, uh, you know when pain destroys Konoha? Like, I'm gonna be weeping out like crazy here. Um, <laughs> By all means. So yeah, um, when pain des destroys Konoha with his, um, uh, I forgot the name of that technique, it's like, it, it, it's, it's like a gravitational attack or something and he's like in the air 
um, Edo Tensei. Edo Tensei, yeah. Right in the sky, there was an aerial perspective, and he's right above the whole village. It's it's really funny that you bring that up because I was just thinking um, someone in one of my classes that I'm taking this semester, just a side tangent, but um, it is about, it's, just, it's an art class essentially, but uh, somebody used that exact panel to demonstrate like perspective and line weight and it, it just brought that up out of my memory, but... <laughs> wow, it's... Small world. Maybe we, we all have like some sort of collective mind or something. Yes. <laughs> I think so. <laughs> but you got Naruto on the brain. Yeah. That is such a cool coincidence. Um but yeah, he's that like that detail, he drew the whole village so precisely. Yes. And it's just funny because it's just, it's just that much work and your audience is gonna read it for one for a few minutes. And that's it. And you put in, like, that frame could be a, 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 an art print. And I was like, mm -hmm. that is just stunning. So that's... Not, um, not to mention, then it's instantly destroyed. Exactly. And then it's instantly <laughs> destroyed. And, you know, it kind of reminds me of uh, um, uh, those monks that would spend time doing the whole sand art and they'll destroy it. I don't know if you guys know yes. about that. Mm -hmm. To, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, to teach impermanence, and so right. <laughs> it was just—it was just absolutely stunning. This this Japanese ethos of, you know, don't cut corners. Um, no matter what you do, if it's something worth doing, do it to the nth degree. Um, right. So that was, I think, the first time that I kind of um, uh, experienced that idea of backgrounds adding you know telling a story because that scene had yeah. no words and it did not mm -hmm. need any words um so so yeah that's right yeah it's, it's great that you bring that up because you know looking at the totality of all of your art pieces i would say you know just as much as your art style is defined by your unique character designs i think maybe even more so your artwork is defined by your background design because each and every one of your pieces for the most part has an extremely high concept, um, highly detailed um, background. Um, like I'm, I'm thinking of the piece uh, that I have on my wall right now as the one with the, uh, the girl sitting on top of the whale that's flying through the sky. Oh yeah. Um, Lucy and and that, one, that one I just catch myself sort of zoning out to for, for a while and it's, it's been an art piece that has you know, followed me from, uh, my, uh, to, uh, from home to college and then to college back home. Uh, and I always try and keep it up on my wall because it's just such an enthralling piece to sort of stare at. And uh, I, I've, I, don't, I don't own this piece, but I feel very similarly about the one where it's like um, the girl walking towards the, um, the, the, the giant robot with like the soldiers on each side. Olympus. Olympus. Mm. Yeah, like that one as well has just a ridiculously high amount of detail so it seems that your appreciation probably not only for that scene in naruto but your appreciation for background design is is very very evident in your in your art pieces um and i was gonna say just to kind of piggyback off of that um something that stuck out to me you said just a few moments ago um when you started drawing as a kid like kind of getting yourself into variety from the get-go and designing different characters, you know, from the small little character to the big muscly characters. Um, that's not something you see a lot in anime and even like artist alley art. There's a very standard character design you get almost across like every show it seems like. Um, it's, you know, big dinner plate eyes, 
long hair. Um, dinner plate. But, uh, you're absolutely yes, right. Yes, dinner plate. <laughs> <laughs> you're absolutely right, Tori. And um, it's just, uh, and I know I'm kind of bouncing around. It's to speak to that. Um, I said earlier that I, on occasion, teach uh, character design classes at the art space uh, mm -hmm. here in North Carolina. And one of the things that I noticed is, you know, people draw, they draw what they like. Um, yes. Ooh, that is some thunder. <laughs> they draw what they like. Oh, wow. <laughs> they draw what they're comfortable in, which is perfectly fine. The thing that you're passionate about is going to... Um, make you, you know, put in that hour or two hours of work. Um, of however, if you want to become a well-rounded artist and an artist that can tell a more, a richer story, a richer, more vibrant story with your art, you, you're definitely going to have to expand your, your knowledge base. So um, whenever I see, well, I saw before the, before the, the plague <laughs> and um, we don't have in-person <laughs> classes anymore, but whenever I saw like any of my students had a um, something that they kind of leaned towards, maybe they like like these shonen or by shonen characters that just looked really pretty or they just drew one gender. Um, I would tell mm -hmm. them like, you are very, very good at this. Um, can you draw for me the exact opposite of what you clearly enjoy? <laughs> that sounds like a great challenge. Yeah, exactly. That's a good artistic push of an exercise. Yeah. <laughs> and from my experience, at first, there's a frown on their face because these are younger kids. Um, but then some of them, not all, after a while actually take to that challenge. And they really come out the other end like, with a new skill they had the skill yeah. to draw they just didn't explore this other avenue because it's not really their thing and uh, right. i i think they're be all the better for it to sort of switch gears a, a little bit um, I would ask um, what how did you first become it so we've already established how you became aware of anime and you got interested in the artistic process and started doing it for yourself so how did you first uh, come across anime conventions as an institution and what was your first anime convention like okay so at this point before this boom slank had been created so I think you can sort of yeah, so before we started... So Boomslank Boom Boom predates uh, your anime convention experiences? Yeah, we right. So oh, wow. we, we didn't even know about anime conventions till we mm -hmm. started the, the brand. And um, Oh, wow, okay. Yeah, and we have a, a, a third, well, a second brother or a third brother? I forget how this works. But like <laughs> the idea is there's a third guy. <laughs> And um, the third guy, <laughs> he's a brother as well. And he's the one who <laughs> suggested that we, we do these conventions because that's where all the anime lovers go to congregate. Mm -hmm. And, mm -hmm. and then next, thing you know, we found out they're called anime conventions and we mm -hmm. go there and yeah, it was like, 
rediscovering anime over again in the sense that you just find like a huge cluster of people who like anime probably mm -hmm. a little more than you do because of the people who actually do it as cosplay and the mm -hmm. people who just are really 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 hyper passionate about it so um mm -hmm. that was how we discovered anime conventions so we never actually mm -hmm. attended anime conventions for fun um mm -hmm. until recently when we figured out how to go there as a business but also make time to also enjoy it as a convention um mm -hmm. now me personally this is justin i normally am more business minded so whenever i go to the conventions i'm just looking for the business opportunity so you're going I've, to work yeah i've never really stopped to smell the roses uh it's mm. david and kevin that usually appreciate the convention for what they are i more or mm. less i am the guy that appreciates it for the uh, profit opportunity it represents mm -hmm. you know that that does uh, bring up an interesting point though because of exactly what you've uh, illustrated how conventions can be very very different for for different people depending on what you're going there for you know whether whether you're going there like yourself for a business opportunity or a networking opportunity or if you're just there to you know hang out and make friends or you're going there for uh, to do panels or to interview people you know there's there's so much that is constantly going on at an anime convention and so many different things for different people that they really are. It's, it's very difficult to really nail down what exactly an anime convention is because it, the definition can change for so many people. Yeah, it, it, it's funny because um, my demeanor at the conventions, you'd swear I don't watch anime because my mind is just, I'm more or less looking around like a hawk, looking for mm -hmm. treasure chests. Uh, like, it's like playing Final Fantasy when you go into a cave and all these treasure chests that you could open and you find like this special weapon that could really make things easy for you. That's me at a convention and right. like all the potential business opportunities there, it's literally a treasure trove. And that's where my mind is mm -hmm. when I'm usually there. Um, now on the flip side, my brothers, Kevin and David, they really enjoy the convention purely for what it is, right? And you can, you can see them light up when they're talking to fans and Mm -hmm. I really appreciate that they they do enjoy it because we need we need people who enjoy it for what it is on our side. Oh yeah, right. Absolutely. Um, so it, it it usually works out because um, I'm I'm more or less caught up with uh, talking to people for business opportunities or partnering with other brands like the collaborations we did with Crunchyroll. So. Um, mm -hmm. That's usually how I look at the conventions. I'm more of, more or less, you could say I'm more of the shrewd side of things. Mm -hmm. um, for instance, um, making sure that the convention is actually lucrative and profitable, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. So that's usually my have, approach to it, the convention. This is a mild side tangent, but ha did you guys watch the show from earlier this year, Keep Your Hands Off of Azoken? I heard about that. Uh, mm -hmm. um, it, Crunchyroll pushed it quite a bit. I'm, I'm assuming it's they one did? of their vested shows as well it's it's a show from um from uh science saru with uh, the director masaki yuasa who did uh devilman crybaby a few years ago and uh ping pong the animation and some other really popular well form like formerly cult 
cult hits, but have really broken out into the mainstream in the last couple of years. But I mentioned that because you, you are three brothers, and that show surrounds these three high school friends where, like, two of them are the extreme, like, high-concept artists that are really excited about animation and art and other things. And then there's the one who's the moneymaker, the one who's the producer behind everything. And they, they sound exactly like you guys, which is very <laughs> funny to me. So I would highly recommend checking out that show, and you'll probably be like, wow, this show read me like a book. Yeah, that's, pro- <laughs> that's probably very, that's very accurate. I didn't even know that was what the show was about. Um, I was a little turned off with how aggressive Crunchyroll was with pushing it. Um, Understandable. There is there is such thing as over marketing. Yeah, it's like if you're gonna shove this down my throat, I'm just not gonna watch it. I, I, right. It's like out of spite kind of thing. But now that I know that it might actually be good, I might have to give it a chance yeah. and watch it. Especially now that um, the pandemic pandemic has kind of kneecapped a couple of shows that I've been watching. Um, right. You yeah. know, production has been halted as a result. So. Mm-hmm. It might give me something to kind of chew on in the meantime. So, yeah, I'm, I'm glad to hear that, actually. It's actually interesting you guys to bring that show up. I haven't finished it. I watched a few episodes. Um, uh, one of the <laughs> last conventions we, we at- attended, uh, one of our artist Ali friends, uh, she met up with us and was like, hey, have you heard of this show? The art style looks exactly like yours. And that was what she was referring to. Uh, I think that's uh, crazy. Oh, how that's crazy. <laughs> Uh, but I, I see what she means, like the the way it's drawn and some of the perspectives. I'm like, wow, that does that definitely is kind of uh, like up my alley. Um, but uh, mm-hmm. that's with your description. I'm definitely going to check that out. It seems like a, it seems like a really good show, actually. Yeah, yeah I, I, think, think, I think you guys will be looking into a mirror. Yeah, for the technical <laughs> points and the technical aspects of it, I feel like you guys will really enjoy it. Yeah, as that well. too as well, yep. for sure. Um, so I guess backing up just real quick before the anime convention thing. So, uh, David, your brothers have these this great, you know money-making scheme of using your art to, you know, make a kajillion dollars. Uh, whenever they tell you that, what is what is your what is your reaction? I was uh, okay, so Two, two phases. When uh, Justin came up with the idea of Boomslang, I was like, okay. Um, because honestly, anything that involves me drawing is perfectly fine by me. <laughs> um, now, however, when um, my other brother, the, um, uh, the, the, uh, he came up with the idea of doing conventions, that I received a little different. I will, I'll be perfectly honest, guys. I was terrified. Um, I'm not. I'm not a people mm-hmm. person. Uh, I'm not like. I'm not uh, super social. So, you know, left up to myself, left up to my own devices, I will not go and seek out crowds. <laughs> uh, right. So yeah, I've always been that way since high school. Um, so the idea of going to conventions and selling my art face to face with large crowds of people was um not very appealing at first i mean it sounds very scary you know you know hundreds of people walking past your booth staring at your at your art with their critical eyes you know that is very scary yep (laughs) honestly i didn't mind if they they uh, critiqued the art i just didn't want to talk to them um oh my goodness (laughs) but but, um Um, sorry go on 
Oh, I was just going to say that um, I had a very similar feeling when I first started doing panels. Like I can remember getting up there on stage in front of all those people. And um, I like to consider myself an extroverted introvert. I don't seek out to talk to people as well. But when I have to, I do it. And, um, you know, being up there, I could feel myself like sweating and just getting nervous. But then as I go through the process, it becomes a little easier. Um, but like you said, it's like I don't necessarily like to talk to people. Um, but in a controlled environment, <clears throat> excuse me, um, in a controlled environment, I can handle it because I get down and somebody's like, oh, you know, good job. And then I can just walk away. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, after we did our first convention, like uh, I think we went, we started in Artist Alley. Um, I I quickly found that my my apprehensions were unfounded. Um, I have genuinely never had a bad experience at a convention, and I think I, I might That's be a bit. Great. Yeah, I might be a bit lucky because I've heard some less than pleasant stories from people in Artist Alley, from theft to oh yeah, you know, out out um, flat out brawls. But um, wow. I've never, yeah, it gets crazy. <laughs> I've never had a bad oh, experience at a convention. Um, and is fact, there a, is there an underground artist alley fight club that we don't know <laughs> about? <laughs> um, I don't know, and I I would like to keep it that way. <laughs> so yeah, like the people that I met have been absolutely lovely, and you know, for the first time actually, I I made like. I mean, I had friends before, but for the first time, I, I made friends that, um, uh, if it makes sense, understood me better. And mm -hmm. uh, a testament to this is that um, from our first convention till now, the friends that I you know, still keep in touch with, um, that aren't just acquaintances, I are all from conventions. They're all people that I met oh. at conventions. Um, and it, it's, I was so surprised. So. The conventions which I was worried about really was a turning point in my life. I also feel like I became a lot more um, um, better at communicating with people, at socializing. Um, mm -hmm. Because these are people that, you know, you share common interests, you both like anime. And there's another aspect of art. Now, this is art in general that I really enjoy. And that's, it's it's really like a, a, a very pure form of communication. Like, I would have someone you know, come to our table, they'll stare at one of our pieces, and then they'll start talking to me. And there is this um, uh, uh, comfort, like, it's not awkward. And we'll just talk about a subject. Mm -hmm. And that's because, you know, like, when you see someone's art, you can tell their sense of aesthetics, like what they like, mm -hmm. what they're interested in, long before you even exchange a word. And uh, mm -hmm. this is definitely one of the, so, you know, doing, uh, Boomslang, doing art in such a public way, actually had an unexpected positive um, uh, influence in, in my social life because doing this, I, I met people who truly appreciated what made me happy, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, the conventions, yeah. Uh, they turned out to be uh, a such a blessing, uh, such an absolute mm -hmm. blessing. Um, but yeah, so, but at the same, at the end of the day, I do always have to keep in mind that, you know, you're running a business, you're not just going there to socialize. Um, right. So yeah, yeah.
I guess this is kind. Of, this is kind of more of a, of a Justin question, but David, I'm sure you'll have a, a, a way to weigh in on this as well. So. I guess whenever you guys were starting to want to go to conventions in the artist's alley to sell your wares, sort of what, what was the biggest like barrier of entry for actually making that happen? Because I know kind of, I don't know a whole lot of people who do the artist's alley scene, but it seems like some conventions are harder to get into. Some of them you have to make a really big investment. And of course, I mean, having things to sell, I'm sure that's a big, a big cost of it. But uh, sort of whenever you guys were getting started with the brand and getting into conventions to sell your stuff like what was what was your biggest challenge our biggest challenge actually is is still currently our biggest challenge but um like i said earlier we uh, this this pandemic has given me time to really rethink how we do the conventions but to answer your mm -hmm. question is hauling around inventory um setting up it's it's painful it's demoralizingly painful um, just oh, carrying like, you know, you, you have to make an, uh, an educated guess of how much stuff to bring and how much you're going to sell. And you also have to make sure that you, you know, you don't overdo it because then you're going to spend a lot of money on shipping, um, to mm -hmm. bring it there and a lot of money to send it back after you haven't mm -hmm. sold everything. If you're not careful, you could actually come out at a loss because you also need to take into account the cost of uh, goods produced. And because once you do all the numbers, even if you've done like a massive, uh, even if your sale numbers look good, if you really take into take everything into account, you actually could be in the red after all said right. and done. Simply because mm -hmm. you either overestimated or, or underestimated uh, the cost of um, moving inventory around. Um, mm -hmm. so does that make you very selective about what conventions you attend and don't attend? Yeah. So we, we right. It, we try to stick towards the conventions we feel will have enough food traffic. Um, mm -hmm. especially, and then if it, if we have to go to a small convention, we have to make sure that it's close enough to minimize the cost of transportation close enough sure, to the sure. point where we don't have to pay for shipping. We can just like fill up a U-Haul truck and, and go over there and come back. And by doing it that way, we minimize the cost of um, shipping. Because the cost of shipping, mm -hmm. uh, I don't know if you're aware, like there are these, um, uh, I, I want to call it a union that has monopolized shipping at conventions. I think they're called Freeman or YRC. But at most mm -hmm. conventions, you can't do anything without their say. Like you, you you have to sell up through them. You have to ship through them, and their pricing can be frightening. It's and mm. if you're not careful, you could be in the red after it's all said and done. And I've noticed a lot. Now, when of, you say when you say shipping, like what 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 specifically do you mean? Just for clarification, inventory, uh, things mm -hmm. you're using to sell. So just up. like your T-shirts, posters, all of that sort of stuff. Correct. Yes. And, mm -hmm. I, and okay. Yeah. And. Depending on how it goes, sometimes the containers arrive damaged, and that's one. Mm. That's another headache to deal with. Um, so, yeah, like, just moving around inventory. I, I remember, like, I'll be standing at the convention we're selling, and I'll be daydreaming that I wish we had a portal that I could just go into and pick <laughs> stuff up. Like, instead of, like, moving, like, instead of shipping, I just go into this third dimension that has all our inventory, and... 
take the stuff out and come <laughs> out pull it right out, out. you know and that way like we yeah. save on we save so much on shipping and hauling inventory it will be beautiful and mm-hmm. so um but yeah I, i've actually thought of a way around that it's the closest to a a, a portal but um i won't divulge too much about it but hopefully it's it's going to help but yeah mm-hmm. inventory and just shipping yeah. and not to mention depending on the size of the convention you're dealing with there's also like the long line of um other vendors that would line up with their trucks waiting to get into the convention, the building to drop off this. Oh, I'm sure that's a pain. Oh my God, it's a harrowing experience. It, it, it's one Oof. of those things that you, you just, it puts you in line and you're in line just thinking about your life choices and stuff. Like it's that, <laughs> it's that bad, you know? A self-reflective experience. Yeah, yeah, it, it's it's and it's so bad that I, I I just wonder if we should be doing this in the first place. But it makes us money. It's just that mm-hmm. I don't know. I I always wondered if it needs to be this painful. So mm-hmm. again, this pandemic has really given me time to think about it. And it's one thing I always do. I maybe it's because of my engineering background. I'm always fascinated by efficiency. So. I love it when things are efficient. It, efficiency is its own reward. And it always makes me happy whenever I find a way to improve something in the business and how it's run. So yeah, mm-hmm. um, I think we've come up with a way to improve things. It's, it's definitely radical, but um, if executed properly, it could make the convention a very pleasant experience for me. Uh, I, and I only speak for myself because my brothers tend to love it. They must have a high tolerance for pain a much higher tolerance for pain than I <laughs> they enjoy it i personally and i know how weird this sounds but i personally do not like the conventions because of the logistical nightmare it represents yeah oh, absolutely so um so does this uh grant does this brand new scheme you come came up with is is that finally the portal that you've wanted all along is that what yes it is? it's the pseudo portal you, uh, that i've yeah. been dreaming about it, and I can't yeah. wait to you can't, can't because literally you can't re- you can't reveal it to humanity because nah, it, what, something horrible could go wrong. It, it's going to be ground shaking. We could actually end up creating two new worlds from it because it, you know, like oh wow, it, it, well, it one of those worlds have the coronavirus. <laughs> but like, I, I mean, it, it's one of the thing is it's a it's fairly risky in the sense that it's going to question what really matters at the conventions, like. You know this idea that you have to go over there with everything you know like mm-hmm. I, i've always found it despicable like just mm-hmm. it, i could spend all day just describing how awful it is <laughs> but the point is i think i found an efficient system that's really going to make the convention truly enjoyable and lucrative at the same time so mm-hmm. whenever this pandemic madness lifts it'll be interesting to see how this experiment plays out. Just, you know, that whole inventory, carrying inventory and, and setting up and, you know, dropping off inventory and packing up to, sh- it's, it's, um, it's the bane of the, ex- it's, it's everyone's bane <laughs> of existence. Like seriously, it's like just, mm-hmm. it's awful. Like I know some uh, vendors that um, save money by shipping everything themselves. Um, they will sleep in their car. They don't even get a hotel oh because every dime Brutal. matters. It, it's like 
that lifestyle sounds cool on paper, but I'm too old to be doing that. You know, oh, yeah. Like, yeah. you know, I want to love what I'm doing. You know, I, I don't mm-hmm. want to start secretly resenting mm-hmm. this mm-hmm. whole life sure. journey. You know, so yeah, and you, and you wanna you wanna come up with a way that you're able to do what you love, and you know, get that amazing art out there, and get that brand out there, but also make sure that you you know you're taking care of your your physical needs, and you don't want to stress yourself out too much. So I mean, your 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 pursuit of getting more efficient is is the best thing that you can do, really, because you want to be able to do this for the long run. Yeah, yeah. Like I, you know, I don't know how David and Kevin do it, but I I have a scowl on my face whenever I'm at a convention, and it scares people away. And I try to <laughs> smile, but it's so forced because I'm in so much pain. Oh, no. You know, so I I just usually tell my brothers. You know, you guys are gonna have to man the tables because I can't hide it anymore, and it's just like the, oh. the aura. You know, like those um, anime characters that have this purple aura around them. It, I feel like I'm just. Oh yes. <laughs> yeah. So I feel like I'm one of those guys, and people can just see it and walk away. So I'm like, mm-hmm. I-, I need to leave the table because I'm scaring people mm-hmm. away. So just walk <laughs> away, you know, because it's 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 bad. I I like efficiency. I, I really do. Mm-hmm. I, and a lot of it has to do with the fact that I'm actually a very lazy person. And <laughs> if, if I can't... Well, work, work smarter, not harder, right? Yeah. It, it, it's like, I, I, I just love a beautiful system. I, I, I love a beautiful mm-hmm. system. If, if, it doesn't, if I can't write a script that would take care of stuff, and it means I have to do it manually, chances are I'll stop doing it eventually. And I don't want that to happen to the convention. thinking about like all my years in the convention scene and um, kind of the demographics that I had seen within creators uh, in the artist alley or just even in the community in general and I wanted to ask you guys um, and I hope both of you weigh in but about the perspective of being a black owned business within the anime community and how that might have helped or hindered um, anything as far as uh, you know your process and all of this and kind of just what you think about it well i guess okay so uh, i'll let uh david talk about his experience as uh, a black artist and then i can just talk about the experience of running the business as um africans and yeah i'd love to hear it yeah um that's a that's definitely a very good question um and especially with regards to uh, drawing anime, um, to, to be perfectly realistic, uh, anime characters aren't very diverse in the representation yes. of you know the, the type of people that you're looking at. Um, so it, it's not something I thought about going in because just the overwhelming anxiety of having to interact with people, that was the mm-hmm. main thing on my mind. So I actually didn't even think of that as we were going into conventions. Um, that said, as I got comfortable with just the social aspect, interestingly enough, the question you asked actually slowly started to 
weigh on my mind, like, um, you know, um, being a, a, a black artist and you're, you know, you're doing this art, um, how, it, how it looks and all that stuff. But um, one thing I found is that if you're, you know, if you're passionate about something, um, when I do my drawings, I just draw what I want to draw. Um, I draw, <laughs> I have a story in my head that I'm, I like, I can't wait to show it to people. And that's literally my monofocus. Um, there's not, uh, I don't think so much as of on a social context or something of that nature. And mm -hmm. um, so far uh, at conventions, um, people, when they see the art, I think that, um, at least I, I'm hoping, but I think that that passion comes through. So when they see the art at the con the convention, like Olympus, um, uh, the poster uh, that you were talking about a while ago, you know, they're mm -hmm. just absorbed into the story that I was trying to project, the wordless story that I was trying to project through that illustration. And for the most part, that's just what people um, comment on uh, and discuss is, is the art. Like, uh, what, what, why did you draw this? What is the story behind this art? Um, uh, and whatnot. And I would really, I would really like to, um, just going forward, um, have the, my work. I've always wanted what I do to speak for itself. Um, mm -hmm. and I, I would like for people to see my art first before they see me, if that makes sense. Sure. Yeah. Absolutely. So, totally. Yeah. Yeah. So that's kind of where I, I stand on that, on that question. Mm -hmm. Uh, for me, it's, I, okay. So here's the thing. When we started Boom Slank, I, I told David just to focus on drawing and I will literally handle everything else. Like for instance, right now. I'm sure David loved to hear that. Yeah, yeah. You know, like I just want him to do what he likes and I sure. just draw and and it's essentially what he's good at. Um, mm -hmm. Kevin and I would deal with everything else. Kevin actually handles the the really boring stuff, like the convention log logistics. Um, mm -hmm. um, I actually probably need to talk to him about what I have in mind moving forward with regards to the convention. But the point <laughs> is, um, what I've noticed is people haven't really, they don't really care that we are black. I think what tends to happen is people are usually blown away by the quality of David's work and, and they, they don't particularly care that he's black. However, mm -hmm. um, moving forward, we have noticed that the social tension has gone out of hand and all of a sudden we are now dealing with an unusual pressure from people who want us to, you know, introduce black, maybe brown characters in our art and have always wondered why we don't do that as black people. Yeah, like more representative. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, yeah. Character. And it's kind of hard to try to explain that, you know, David's way of doing work, when David does his work, he doesn't care about race. It's like mm -hmm. he just likes anime for anime's sake. And the anime mm -hmm. we're all exposed to is usually, um, I guess the idea is that the characters are Japanese. I mean, you could argue mm -hmm. that what kind of Japanese person has 
white blonde hair or grayish silver hair. <laughs> yeah. But the, but the point is, or blue or purple or yeah, exactly <laughs> right. Like the typical anime characters is what David emulates, and he has never really. I have never really thought that there was a problem that um, there weren't enough black characters, but mm-hmm. I, I over you know now with twenty twenty and the current zeitgeist, the there's like yeah, yeah, it's like suddenly now it's almost like a requirement. Oh, it, it, at least that's the that's the subtle pressure we're feeling. And to, right. Sorry, I hope I didn't. No, he, he wants to add something to it. To add to absolutely, yeah, sure. To add to what I was saying, because as, as Justin spoke, um, I, I I felt like there was a, there was to add to kind of um, uh, so as an artist, just like Justin said, you know, if you're and and any weeb artist out there, and I say weeb as a badge of honor, just for your audience, I, <laughs> it, it is not derogatory. I am a weeb, and I am very, a very happy one. Um, yeah. so, <laughs> um, to any anime, you know, aspiring anime artists out there, of course, you're going to be practicing by doing fan art, and fan art, you're gonna practice what you see. And so that kind of um, very specific um, mono character design is going to engineer itself into the way you draw. Um, Of course. Now, that said, uh, as an artist, artist, I like to... Now, this is just me. Everyone's different. As an artist, I like to grow. So in our earlier part, in the earlier parts of our discussion, you know, you can see the progress. Um, I I will see a new artist uh, like Masashi Kishimoto, and I would be impressed with the, the his command of scenery. And before I didn't used to like drawing scenery. I didn't really care for it. I just wanted to draw people. Um, and then in addition to Kishimoto, I. Um, experience the works of uh, Makoto Shinkai. He's another person that does like to, to even call his art scenery is is belittling the point. He creates freaking worlds, like living, yes. breathing worlds. And when you see them, you don't forget them. Um, all his animations and and just to sound like a hipster, I knew Kishimoto. Well, I was following Kishimoto before he blew up. Um, I was following him when he used to do <laughs> art. And, like he had this little Japanese blog that nobody knew about, and only God knows how I stumbled on it. And he used to make art using oh. his um, uh, you know when Apple used to make those colorful uh, Mac Pros. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. He would make animations. The first one I saw was called She and Her Cat. It was black and white. Yeah. You said uh, you said Kishimoto, but you mean uh, Shinkai, Oh, sorry, right? not Kishimoto. Um, uh, Shinkai. Yeah, Shinkai. Yeah, Shinkai, yes. yeah. Okay, just making sure. I, I just connected with that because he would literally just be drawing in this little room with, in, oh, in his com- with his computer and he would just be creating these works. And I just kept going to his blog and it was all in Japanese. I couldn't read anything. I just knew that every now and then, Dinner will be served in the in the form of a new animation <laughs> or some so new you're art. saying like the visuals I guess the visuals spoke for themselves rather than the artist. It, it's the purest yeah. form of communication, you know. Um with art, and I don't mean just illustration, I mean music, um, even mm-hmm. dance. You see a medium and you just you feel something, but the artist hasn't said anything, you know. Uh, when you listen to a song, you feel like some songs can literally make you depressed. 
And I think that's yes. impressive. Yeah, like you listen to it and your mood changes just based on how the, the artist had woven these um, sounds and instruments. To me, it's almost like magic. And I find that insanely um, uh, fascinating. Um, but to kind of tie it back to your question, Tori, um, uh, as I grown as an artist, what I find inspirational has also grown. Um, mm -hmm. Before, I used to draw my inspiration directly from anime. Um, but as time has gone on, I, I just want to tell any story that comes to mind. Um, quite a mm -hmm. lot of my characters nowadays are actually inspired by uh, real humans. They're just random people that I find. Um, I like their style or something like that. Um, so like some of our mascots, for instance, are inspired by um, one of our mascots, one of our most popular mascots. Um, uh, she's named Aya. She's, uh, <laughs> uh, it's hard, kind of hard to describe without a picture, but um, she's named Aya. She's... Uh, the brunette? Um, hmm? The brunette? No, the African-American. Aya. Oh, yeah, yeah. Right. and she's kind of um, got... Uh, her body is not like slender built or something like, you know, most mm -hmm. female um, anime characters. Yeah, she's kind Athletic. of... Exactly. She looks physically imposing. Um, one of the best compliments I got on that character design at a convention was uh, she looks like she can kick some ass. And I'm like, yeah, that's, that, that's what <laughs> I was going for. Right. Um, and she was actually inspired by a dancer on YouTube that I follow. Um, just uh, full disclosure, I can't dance for shit. I can't dance at all. But I love watching people dance. I don't know why. Um, and there's this, uh, there's a... I mean, like you just said, art, art speaks to people and dance is it's art as art. well. Yep. Exactly. Precisely. Exactly. And just watching this uh, this lady dance, like, you know, dance is all about your your um, personality and the, um, the, the I, there's a word I'm looking for. Uh, the, the charisma that you put out, you know, mm -hmm. you can do the movements correctly, but if you don't project that that uh, personality, your dance moves would be a bit off. And right. when, yeah, when when I watch her dance, it is just stunning. Like she just looks like such a badass. And that <laughs> like when I saw her at some point, one while watching one of her dance choreographies, it just clicked. I was like. This is, I, I want to make a character of this person. It's still grounded in the anime style and aesthetic, but I'm like, I want to immortalize this person as a character. So that yeah. is something that the me a decade ago would never have created character design in that way. So mm -hmm. as time goes on, I'm always, always growing. I don't want to ever plateau or flatline or be the, or remain the same person. Um, mm -hmm. So um, I think for the fans that are following us, you know, they, we, we will always continue to evolve. And, um, but above all, I would just make stuff that I feel inspired to make. So of course. I'll just interject for a second. So there's always that risk that we don't want to, we don't want to kind of affect the genuine or integrity, the genuineness or integrity of the process, by letting social mores dictate dictate um, what we design. Um, mm -hmm. uh, you, I, just like you heard from David, our first black character was an organic process. It came from a genuine, sincere place, and it wasn't inspired by some need to have a black person just for the sake of 
um, diversity or injecting some sort of um, uh, uh, even balance of uh, various identities. Like it. Right, and I, I think that's a very important way to look at it as well. Right. Yeah. So we we try to. I mean, everyone has a different process, but for us, and a lot of it could also have to do with the fact that we are actually Africans in, in the sense that we are first-generation Africans. We, mm-hmm. we have a different history and different understanding of race relations. Mm-hmm. We don't, we don't, sure. we're not African-Americans in the sense that we weren't raised here, and it's easy to see how being a you know a descendant an african-american descendant can frame the way you look at the world um Mm -hmm. we look at the world differently um and we approach things differently and Mm. we so with all the stuff we've created we've never we've never had race as a factor in any of the things we've done right so Mm. it it's 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 just it's just the process. Yeah. It's just the way we approach things. It's not. There's. It's not deliberate. Uh, and mm-hmm. I. And on a few occasions, we've definitely encountered trolls that have more or less denounced us because being black, we didn't. We haven't included enough black characters, and I obviously just ignore them uh, because being on the internet right. long enough you realize that the, one of the best things you can do when, when it comes to dealing with a troll is to simply ignore them. Um, engaging Absolutely. them is a very bad policy. You know, people say don't feed the trolls for a reason. Yes. So, <laughs> oh, yeah. so yeah, like there's, you know, it's given our background and given David's approach to doing art, it just so happens that whatever we include, it, we try to make sure that it comes from a genuine place. Um, our current black mascot will probably try to make a, a bigger appearance. Um, there's no denying that um, the current atmosphere hasn't affected us on some level. Um, but at the same time, we try to stay genuine and maintain integrity in, in our process. Um, sure. it, I mean, there's no denying that, um, you know, adding the making um Aya a more active character wouldn't make things more interesting as a brand but at the same time we want to make sure that there's no politics behind that decision yeah mm-hmm. and just to add to what justin said um this is this is the way we do things and where we're coming from this is not to um how do i put it to denigrate any artist correct whom their method of art or what inspires them is to make a social com- commentary if absolutely that's your thing and that's where your artistic fuel is coming from then more power to you because correct. that's how that's it's like jojo's bizarre adventures that's your stand that's how you work correct uh, it's I, just not how i work yes i i would be no different from the trolls for criticizing Precisely. someone who takes that approach because that is their approach, and quite honestly, I don't, I don't, um, I don't think there's anything objectively wrong or right. I, I exactly. like as, about that approach. I just think that if it if it is how your brand is built, if if this is the how your brand maintains its own integrity, by all means, go for it, right? Like, mm-hmm. but you know, but please don't try to um, try to override our approach with your own. Um, 
what you believe is the ideal way of building a brand that would not be appreciated. On the brighter side, um, you, when we go to the conventions, I, I, I remember thinking to myself that are we going to do well as black, uh, as black people, especially being Nigerian, you, you know, that yeah. accent is hard to hide. And we have this stereotype that we have to live with, with the Nigerian prince stuff. So like, um, I, it, it genuinely scared me, believe it or not, like, it wasn't racism that scared me as much as just, hey, these Nigerians, you know, they kind of do the Nigerian prince things. Are these guys going to steal my money? Like, it was an irrational fear I had. And Man. come to find out I was completely misplaced because we have, we've been to conventions where we've seen people, like we've seen people from Japan ask David for an autograph. I, I've seen, um, oh, wow. yeah, I've seen a Korean dad basically take a record of video of her daughter talking to David. I mean, the guy oh, wow. was just so happy about the whole process. I mean, so when I see that, that <laughs> yeah, it, it, I mean, every time I see that, I get goosebumps and I, I get this feeling that we're going to be fine regardless of our, our nationality or skin color. Mm -hmm. As long as we stay, as long as we remain um pleasant people to deal with. And as long as our work speaks for itself, I, I've mm -hmm. always believed we're going to be fine. And it also goes back to the reason why sometimes I take myself out of the convention because of the scowl I have from being stressed out by conventions. Because <laughs> I want to make sure people feel pleasant around us. And when I'm mm -hmm. not pleasant, I think people pick up on that. And it's got nothing to do with me being angry about anything else other than the fact that the convention is just unbelievably stressful. But yeah, so yeah, like you, you see people like, I, okay, so because David genuinely lost the convention, you see like men in their 50s who did mechanical engineering just talking up a storm with David because some, um, one of the, one of the t-shirts, the car wash um, had features a, a fighter plane. So somebody sees it and Next thing you know, we find out the guy worked on the Navy, or worked as a Navy officer, oh, wow. and he worked on like the Osprey or something like that. And the guy just gets lost in conversation with David for hours on end. <laughs> like some old white guy in his 50s, just talking to David for hours on end. Like I see that, I'm like, yeah, we're going to be just fine. Like I, I, like, I, I, I just think to myself, yeah, I, I don't see any problems here. Like we're going to be just fine. I mean, yeah. Yep. I mean, like his David's accent is still there. Kevin's accent is still there, and nobody seems to care. Everyone is just caught up talking about mechas and machinery and fighter planes and just having That's fun in that commonality. And I'm like, what could possibly go wrong from here? Like we're we're, <laughs> we're going to be just yeah. fine. Mm -hmm. So, 
I mean, you're, you're touching on a wonderful point about how, you know, cert certainly issues do exist in, in fandom spaces, but one of the wonderful things that fandom brings is that it, it, it is a unifying force that can bring together literally people from every corner of the world. You know, we're, you know, we're, Tori and I are sitting here being born and raised white Americans, um, and we have an anime podcast about cartoons from Japan. So, you know, we're kind of a weird example, and you guys are from Nigeria, and you make, uh, wonderful anime-inspired art from Japan that you sell at conventions in America. So it really is kind of an amazing worldwide uh, fandom that we can all uh, participate in, and it really is a unifying force. And I try and, I try and, that's, try, that's something that I try and remember whenever we do have issues in the fandom space, that these fandom spaces at their best are truly some of the best best things in the world and I'm, I'm not being hyperbolic when i say that when no say that. no no you are you, you no you can't under like you can't really overstate it like the, the the here's the thing the feeling i get whenever i see my brothers talking to like because i always have to go back on the men in their 50s because they are the more conservative types right like it'd be sure it'd be one thing if it was like uh some young some young guy but no like when you see like an right. old guy that just looks shrewd and you know has that hey you young whippersnapper look on his face like <laughs> when you see you know like, my lawn. yeah like when you find that this guy is just like giddy talking to like kevin because kevin has a mechanical engineering background and and kevin is basically you know word for word, keeping up with this guy as far as expertise goes. And you can see the look on the guy's face almost as if it's, he's found a kindred spirit. Like, mm -hmm. I don't know what else could be more beautiful than that in the world of anime. Like, how, like, all you see is these are two fans, nothing else. Like, I don't, like, mm -hmm. their skin color is so irrelevant in yeah. that context that it's like, I, I, I'm like, I just see what the ideal model for humanity can be. And I, I just like, yeah. I think it's absolutely beautiful. Now this, this, mm -hmm. this does not discount the simple fact that there is still like injustice that's driven from racial divide. But mm -hmm. like, I feel like an ideal world would be something where like, we're not caught up about our skin, dif the, the differences of our skin, but just what we have in common, right? I, I, yeah. I, I just, it, it's amazing. It, it makes me smile. It's actually yeah. one of the few things I like about the convention, right? Like when I see mm -hmm. people just focus on what they have in common and just enjoy talking about what they share in common. I think it's awesome. Yeah, mm -hmm. and to add to that, like, um, unlike my brother Justin or Kevin, um, I, I for better or worse have, have a very like only one specialty and that's art um so uh, i to to kind of communicate to it to your audience that are artists um that may be wary about this subject um i i would say just focus on on drawing the cool stuff that's in your head um, <laughs> yeah don't, yeah do not worry about the audience or what anyone thinks yes um in fact the person that got me into digital art, um, uh, I used to just draw traditional medium until it was a an exchange student from Vietnam um, when I was oh, in wow. high school. 
And yeah, she showed me this uh, illustration of hers and I thought, this is how mind-blowing it was. I thought she was showing me some concept art from Square Enix. And it took a while for her to tell me like, no, I drew this. And I was like, wait, what, magic? Um, <laughs> and, and, and then she, she was like, oh no, this is, is digital programs. And then she was like, this is Photoshop. Um, this is how it works. And then a Polish friend of mine gave me bootleg Photoshop. Once again, we're not admitting to anything. Mm. We've all been there. Yeah. 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 I'm gonna tell. So a Vietnamese friend introduced me to digital <laughs> art and then a Polish friend gave me uh, my first digital software. Um, but back to, to that artist, she she's very, very talented. But what what is so unique about her and I've never seen any met any other artists like this is that she doesn't share her work online. Like she doesn't have a deviant art, she doesn't have an online presence anywhere. And her art was so stunning that I thought it was official Square Enix concept art. And mm -hmm. I always ask her like what are you drawing for? You know, I, I mean, you don't even have to be selling it. Like, put it out there. And she's like, I only draw for myself and for people that I want to share it with. And I was like, that, 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 her response, she's like, made my brain shake. I'm like, <laughs> I, because I, I love, I'm not gonna lie, I do love the validation um, from, from when you, you know, you put your art out there. It's not an ego thing. Because you 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 know you have this cool idea in your head and you want to share it. Art is communication. So to draw and then keep it to yourself, it's almost like talking to yourself, and that's incredibly lonely somehow. But the fact that fact is like, hey, you know, at the end of the day, at the very core, you are drawing because you enjoy it. Um, don't worry so much about what people think or how they're gonna judge you because. The ultimately, you're just trying to, to create something cool. And, you know, I, the, here's the thing, right? Um, trolls are like an unfortunate part of life. You can't avoid it. For whatever reason, people, people find it enjoyable to take, down, take someone down a yeah, peg to, to for whatever else. reason. I, I remember mm -hmm. there was a video of um, David being in a review that I posted on Instagram, and somebody... This guy said, your English has improved since the last time we spoke. And I'm thinking to myself, David's English has always been good. What, <laughs> where is this coming from? What is this nonsense? But again, like I said, I did not engage. Like, I just simply ignored him. I, I, mm -hmm. I typically try to respond to every comment on our Instagram because I, I feel like I owe it to anyone who actually says something on our post, even if it's critical but there's the difference between critical and just outright disrespectful or mm -hmm. condescending and those ones i just simply don't have time for and mm -hmm. one thing i'm learning the hard way with the internet is um if you're not initiated into the world of make, putting yourself out there it's gonna be quite shocking how much trolling you have to deal with but the best way to deal with that is exposure. Just get some exposure therapy. Get used to it because it's not, it's not going anywhere. For whatever reason, people just do it. You know, I don't know where it comes from, but it, it happens. I, I, and I only say this because that risk of being trolled 
can definitely be something that can discourage people. Oh, yeah. And then also it could also definitely be something that could make people um, of a different skin color feel marginalized at the same time. But mm -hmm. my thing has always been that no one single individual should have that much power. You, if they have, if they have that power, it's simply because you gave it to them. And right. just take into account that all they have to do to make you feel marginalized is to write something. I, I, I feel like we shouldn't make it that easy for trolls or just generally awful people to take control over how you feel. So mm -hmm. find a way to get used to that potential risk because it's not going anywhere that you know you we cannot just ask people hey guys could you please be civil that's definitely the last thing they're going to do so um <laughs> it's literally in your best interest to learn how to grow a thick skin I, I i think you guys know marquez brownlee i i feel like everyone should know marquez brownlee um marquez brownlee is the biggest I, I want to say the biggest YouTuber out there, maybe second to mm -hmm. PewDiePie and a couple other gossip channels, but he he does such a good job that he's literally the best tech YouTuber by any standard. And you can tell that all he focuses on is just putting out good work. Yeah, quality work. If you go through the comments, you can see that there's a crop of condescending comments and disrespectful comments, but I think he's used to it. And I think he doesn't focus on it, right? But at the same time, there's just 10 times more mm -hmm. positive comments from everybody exactly. about oh, yeah. his work, right? And mm -hmm. I think that's what people need to learn to focus on. Because unfortunately, <laughs> what tends to happen is for every thousand positive comments, it only takes one negative comment to ruin the broth. Like it's just, mm -hmm. for whatever reason, the negative ones are more effective. But I think we need to kind of learn how to, people need to learn how to condition their minds to recognize that before that one negative comment came in, there were like 2,000 positive comments, 2,000 mm. sincerely positive comments. And you should focus on that, not the negative one that just came out of nowhere because it probably came from somebody who just, I don't know, wanted to ruin your day because they felt they could. So <laughs> That's a great way to look at it. I think that's a very way, that's a great way to, contextualize some of the negative energy that the internet constantly creates but you're absolutely right and uh, realistically much more people are invested in just seeing awesome anime art and celebrating that than all of the people you know looking to to tear it down there's vastly fewer of them yeah i i can think of a few times where after panels i've read some not so nice comments about me on the internet but you know they were upsetting at the time but now i look back on it and i'm just like that's kind of funny because that's a stranger i'm never yeah. gonna meet and if that's how they feel about me i mean that's not really anything i can do about it so. yeah and, and in fact like tori you're even i feel like you're even braver than i am because um Nothing says I'm out there and I'm vulnerable like doing a panel. Like, it, yeah, yeah. you're literally standing in front of a firing squad and hoping they don't <laughs> shoot. Like, so, like, the fact that you're able to do that and, you know, and it's always weird how you're guaranteed to receive some negative comment, even if you've done everything right. Like, you can, like, it, it's, it's still weird. But I'm mm. glad you brought that up because... It just shows you that it's unavoidable and all you can do is just learn to just ignore it 
and eventually you, by the time you know it you you won't be able to imagine how you do this without encountering it one single uh, negative comment every once in a while it becomes like uh part of the job like really you mm. you get to a point now where you're like oh yeah oh that's a negative comment that's funny like <laughs> a minor inconvenience <laughs> yeah where, where you're just used to it like avoid like like avoiding it is not the best way like just expect it it's going to sting a couple of times but then over time you're just gonna get used to it and believe mm-hmm. me getting used to it is the best thing that can happen because all of a sudden these trolls have no real um bite anymore like it's just an errant mm-hmm. stupid all comment right. that means nothing the the one that i'm referring to i'm not going to go into what it actually said but uh there were times where i was like i should print that out and frame it and put it on my wall just for like a giggle you know <laughs> yeah yeah like I, I bet you have moments where you look at it and you're like wondering what is going through this individual's head that <laughs> inspired mm-hmm. them to say this like like they took the time to type out this awfully nasty comment for no reason like what a, like what kind of person are you what kind of like you know like it, it's fascinating at first but then eventually you like you stop <laughs> you just stop caring you stop paying attention it's because it, it. it's yeah. so insig- it becomes insignificant over time mm-hmm. and like like i said i i condition myself now to just like focus on the positive comments in fact like sometimes when i get a positive comment i take my time i write up a response expressing like oh I really appreciate that you know you said this. Yeah, David spent a lot of time working on this. I'm happy you noticed some detail, like you know, like super positive, like just like for instance, Olympus. Um, I I don't I, I don't want to assume here, but you drew some inspiration from Tall Geese and Gundam Wing with Olympus, yes. right? There was only like when we showed Olympus, a lot of people were like. Is that White Glen from Mammal Core? Did you guys rip off White Glen from Mammal Core? What a rip off. You guys. Yeah. Da, 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 da. And then this one guy was like, I'm getting strong Toggies vibes here. I'm like, hey man, thank you for being the only person that noticed <laughs> where the inspiration came from. And the guy was so happy. And I think he went ahead and just bought it because he like oh, wow. he felt special. Like I'm like, and he should feel special. Like he was the only person who actually knew where like the inspiration came from. Everyone else was just like you know, like there are all these like mecca mecca purists talking right out of their ass about like oh, yeah. the idea. I'm like looking at them, I'm like these guys are stupid. But yeah, and then this one guy was just like, you know, yeah, I, I'm getting like he he literally said this looks like tall geese on steroids. I'm like, that's how that's I feel. Really yeah, I'm like that. I, I was like, dude, that's like the most accurate description of Olympus I've had. Yes, it is. And I would have literally given him a discount to use, but it looks like I didn't need to because he just went ahead and bought something. So I'm like, Perfect. yeah, I was like, yeah, thanks. I- Speaking of that, well, I'm not sure if you guys do this anymore, but I have a few of them in my scrapbook. I remember many years ago, I picked up some of your um, like promotional art cards that you have with the different art on it. And it has like some of David's commentary on the back where it talks about like, his thoughts on the piece and some of the specific anime that um, inspired it. And I always found that very fascinating. And I held on to them for a reason. One, because they were great miniature uh, uh, pieces of of your art and it's all really good. Um, And two, because it it had that extra flair, that sort of behind the scenes look into what you were thinking as you were making that piece. So uh, do you guys still do that? 
Oh, uh, we stopped. And one of the reasons mm -hmm. was, again, inventory. It's probably expensive. Yeah, I was like, this is not sustainable. It's not scalable. We're just adding more stuff to carry along with us. We got to stop this, you know. But now with this idea I'm trying to do, we may be able to bring it back, maybe bring, maybe find a way to do a, a smaller version of it. But mm -hmm. it's funny because um, so there was a time where at a convention and somebody came to us with like a, a folder with all of them like neatly laminated. <laughs> wow. I was like, wow. I did not know people were doing that. Like sometimes we, <laughs> we completely underestimate the impact of what we do. Like, we're like, oh, mm -hmm. you know, this sounds like something cool. Let's make these little booklet things. And, and next thing you know, people are like, yeah, I got to catch them all. I got to collect them all. And I'm like... You made your own trading cards, actually. Yeah, I know. <laughs> right. Like, it's funny you should say that because we've actually mulled over that idea. It's just that, you know, we have all these ideas that we're looking at. And David is only one person. And David's process is, for lack of a better word, incredibly slow. Um, <laughs> frustrating. So it's like... It's like one of those, takes time, you know? Yeah, it's like uh, those slow-cooked meals that like yep. take a week to cook and then it's really good, but it took <laughs> it took a week. Each piece of art is like a delicious pot roast. Right, right. Like it, it's just so slow, right? And but there are all these other ideas, and and uh, it it all goes back to making a creating a really good brand experience that we might mm -hmm. actually have to revisit. We just have to find a way to do it scalably and mm -hmm. sustainably. Um, but a lot of it has to do with the fact that we, we didn't realize people were collecting those things, honestly. Mm -hmm. Like we, we had no idea. And then somebody came with like this folder and it, it shocked me. Like I was like, what, what what's going on here? Like you have everything laminated. I'm like, <laughs> okay. Yeah, you know, she was so proud of it. Like I was like, mm -hmm. wow. Uh, so great. yeah, we might have to, look into something like that again. Speaking of uh, sort of brand possibilities, and this is one of the last things I want to I want to discuss before we close out the episode. But um, you guys did have an opportunity to work with Crunchyroll not too long ago, so can you guys explain what that was like? Sure. So it, it goes back to what I do when I go to conventions. I literally look for people to partner with. I, I'm I'm a little crazy like like I remember. Now I look back on it, I cringe. Like there's a time I walked up to these guys that appeared to be like executives for, I think it was Toei. And I just like, hey, mm -hmm. do you guys do animations for um, um, small brands? And the guy was like, I'm busy right now. In a very weird Japanese <laughs> accent. Yes, yeah. he had this dismissive look. And I talk about it like, what's wrong with me why i just approach some japanese old japanese men like that and talk to them what's wrong with me like <laughs> but my point is like i am always looking for an opportunity to partner with people and i met crunchyroll 
And I remember I walked up to them and talked to them, and it was the same reaction. They were like, who are you? What are you doing here? <laughs> Get lost. And so then I was like, okay, here's what I can do. They had a Crunchyroll store, and, and I was like, what if we sold some of our stuff on the Crunchyroll store? I'm like, maybe that would get their attention. And we did just that. And after a while, I, I think her name was Michelle. She approached us like, hey, um, your stuff sells out especially fast. Wow. What a compliment. Yeah. Your stuff sells out especially fast. Do you guys want to um, do some art for us? And I'm like, how about we do a collab? That would be better. And mm -hmm. she was like, I'm listening. And that was <laughs> how the first uh, collab happened. And, you know, uh, we drew up the agreement and everything. And it went through. And when they wrote it out, it's, it was like 700 or so shirts or something like that. And they sold out in a day and wow, wow. Incredible. yeah like, like they literally like fell in love with us and um they came back to us and were like yeah we would like to do a second collab and I'm like absolutely we can definitely do a second collab and that was how the second collab happened so yeah it you know it's it was like um a little bit of effort but it was also a little bit of luck that um our stuff sold well and caught the attention so yeah. that's how we ended up partnering with them. Well, I mean, you you uh, you had the guts to reach out, and um, you know, it it worked out. So um, if you never if you never took that leap of thinking, you know, maybe this gigantic anime brand that's known all over the world would have anything to do with little old us, uh, you never would have had that opportunity. But uh, I think it's just amazing that you you guys you know had that courage to reach out and something awesome really came out of it. Yeah, so. and I I was gonna say that you kind of have to unashamedly put yourself out there. Yeah. Um, I was very nervous to message you guys just point blank and be like, hey, do you want to come speak to us? And it worked out fine because you know we exchanged emails and now here we are. But um it, it's kind of scary like i totally get it mm -hmm. i mean we've, we've kind of not certainly not to this scale of course but you know whenever we always feel a little weird about soliciting our panel services for conventions and stuff because we still consider ourselves extremely small but you know sometimes some really great things have come out of just putting ourselves out there yes i i, I completely understand and the thing is that because sometimes you don't like being solicited yourself you you're not comfortable mm -hmm. doing it. You're like, okay, I'm about to do something. I don't like I don't like it when it's done to me. So this is awkward. And but then you're like, you know what, screw it, let me do it. Let me see what happens. And <laughs> it, it it just works out, right? And my, I've always adopted this idea of like, if I don't do it, it's definitely not gonna happen. But if I try mm -hmm. to do it, it might happen. So yeah. all things point to I love that attitude. You know, like because if, if you're afraid that it's not gonna work, well. It's guaranteed not to work if you don't try. Yeah. Right? So true, so, true. Yeah. So what's the worst that can happen? Like even when I, I approached those Japanese guys out of the blue, it, in hindsight, I was very stupid, but I'm still alive and I don't think they remember me, right? Like, like I, I don't think they went home and thinking, who was that guy? Find his name. We're going to find him. Yeah. We're going to hunt him down and ruin his life. Like nothing happened. <laughs> I just looked like an idiot for like five seconds, right? But 
And hey, now you have a story to share on the Third Impact Anime Podcast. Yep. So that's that's what counts, right? Right. right. Because I mean, honestly, sometimes I think about it, I'm like, what was I thinking? It was so stupid. Like, why would I do that? <laughs> but, you know, like, at the end of the day, I'm glad I did because I, I really don't want to be the type of person to second guess a potential opportunity whenever I see it, right? Um, mm-hmm. Obviously, yeah. my approach now is a little more refined, but still, the the whole spirit of taking risk is still there. I don't want to lose that because it's, you know, nothing gets done if you don't take some level of risk. Yeah, and I, I think that um, doing this has also, at least for me, um, it, it's just kind of helped me mature a lot, um, not to backpedal mm-hmm. too much, but with like the subject of um, um, what's called trolling and stuff like that, um, I, I, I love audiobooks, uh, and there's one that I was listening to that I, I think really framed how I look at that kind of stuff, and that's um, anything, anything um, is something is negative or positive really based on how you look at it. Um, if if it if you see a, a an adversary a, tr- a troll someone who's not you know constructive they're just out there to hurt to hurt you or something I mean, one could ask you know like what could possibly be positive from this experience or this interaction and the simple fact is that interaction makes you mature it makes you stronger mm-hmm. it makes you have tougher skin so when you look at it that way that that experience has actually giving is actually an asset in a weird way and when i look Mm -hmm. at things that way um i come out of it just thinking oh well i'm all the better for it now um Mm -hmm. i had a little bit more how would i put it like community online online community experience than justin um before we started doing boomslank online i was on deviantart i was also on pixiv um also on um uh flickr which was actually more for photography. But yeah, so um, I kind of had an experience with positive reinforcement, uh, mean positive constructive feedback, and then, you know, just feedback that is just meant to, to harm someone because somebody was bored. Um, but uh, with the, with like the fear of approaching people and stuff like that, um, I, I think it's also just, you know, uh, maturity because at the end of the day, you're like, what's the worst that could happen? And you're just overcoming that uh, that fear. And I know for a fact that the stuff that, you know, I've done with Justin and Kevin, that has um, kind of, you know, emulate, emulating their own bravery, because that's, you know, with being antisocial is not my strong suit, but it has helped me, you know, uh, get like, approach people for um, commissions or even like my, work with the art space and stuff like that I've generally become a little bit bolder uh, as a person mm-hmm. and taking risks or at a meeting suggest actually speak what I have in mind which I normally wouldn't have done before so that's an aspect mm. of growth um, overcoming fear is definitely something you you know you, you definitely have to do it, it is imperative if you want to grow if you're constantly just scared of like rejection and stuff like that oh boy you are not gonna have a tough time (laughs) i have one final question for you guys and justin you sort of spoken to this sort of on the business end because you've said you've you've got a lot of plans in mind 
uh, for how you're going to create more efficiency in the business and things like that. But I guess, generally speaking, for both of you guys, what is your dream goal as Boomslank as a brand? Like, where do you guys, I know this is kind of like a weird uh, job interview type question, but where do you see yourself in five years, you know? <laughs> um, I, I guess I could start. Um, so when, like, we, since we've been running the brand, we've been approached by a, a bunch of um, others, um, like stores that want to carry out stuff that have asked if we do wholesale. Um, and we've had to turn that down. And a lot, even if there was a possibility we could make a little bit more money from doing that, we decided to turn that down because we wanted to control the brand experience and the story, right? So we don't want this idea that someone finds our stuff in a store and doesn't know where it came from. It doesn't know what, why it, that particular item exists, right? Um, Sounds like it would, it would remove some of the, the personal aspect of it. Right, like we want people to know exactly where they got our merch from, right? And <laughs> it's a long-term play. And the whole idea is that we're trying to grow this to be like a serious recognizable brand in the anime space. Like, honestly, I, I'd like to get to a point where we, we are recognized enough to do, like, so how we've done partnership with um, Crunchyroll, um, we even did one with Faku, but we're even looking to bigger partnerships. And in order, in order to get to that point, our brand equity has to be bigger. And it involves doing things that don't necessarily scale as far as revenue, but things that focus more or less like um, building up the brand, making sure that the brand philosophy and story is, is basically prevalent all over our website and all over our social media and just focusing on making sure that people come to associate like i want to get to a point where if people see our stuff before even they see our logo they know it's from us like we want to become this <laughs> highly recognizable brand within the anime space much to a point now where we can start doing partnerships like i, I dream of the day we can do like a partnership with honda or wow that would be so cool <laughs> yeah no like oh uh, like or even like unique Lou. like that would be awesome like <laughs> it yes. would be so cool yeah. like like it, it is something I, I want us i want my brothers and i to build this like highly recognizable brand within the anime community it, 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 <laughs> it's something that goes beyond just money it's more or less just like this awesome legacy or uh, something you've done before you live this reality yeah. right like it's it's gonna be so cool like I, I i just love the idea of growing from this small brand to like this major brand name that literally just is a, a basically a, a household name in the mm -hmm. anime space yeah and to touch on the the legacy thing you know since this is like our closing um like i i'm a huge fan of um rpgs and one of the reasons why i play rpgs to be perfectly honest um to be brutally honest is it's an escape it's an escape from reality i don't know if you guys have ever played one of these really engaging rpgs um with that beautiful world and constantly leveling up and going on a new adventure are, are, are you a final fantasy 14 player 
Final Fantasy XIV. Uh, wait, wait, is that the that's the MMO? Okay, no, I don't. Yeah, that's MMO. Yeah. Yes, oh, yeah. I don't do MMOs you, because you, you I mentioned mean. RPGs. So you have to tell us which one. Oh, okay. just got I have played Final Fantasy Seven, uh huh, Nine, Ten. I skipped <laughs> Eleven. I played sure. Twelve. I played mm-hmm. Thirteen. I played Thirteen Two, and I played Thirteen Three, and I skipped <laughs> Fourteen, and I haven't played Fifteen because I have a job. Um, so, um, yeah, so I am pretty much uh, a Square Enix fan. Um, but what I was kind of getting at is that, you know, there's, I'm like, well, why shouldn't life just be like this? Every day you wake up and you look forward to a new adventure. You look forward mm-hmm. to leveling up. Why should that, um, that endorphin and that um, uh, enjoyable experience be relegated to this fictional world? It, it should be, it would be wonderful if that was just your life. And mm-hmm. um, running a business with my brothers um, has, you know, not, not to pretend there aren't any difficulties, there certainly are, um, but that excitement, especially when my brother Justin comes up with uh, a, a new product um, idea for us, and it's like, this is a new thing to see how it works, or we get in a new collaboration, and it's like, well, here's some new chapter, how is this going to turn out? Mm-hmm. You know, it's just exciting. And yeah, you're working yeah. like crazy to get work done, but it's something new um, to look mm-hmm. uh, to look into. Um, I mean, that's a great that's a great way to think about it, because, you know, I, I think, you know, a lot of people who are in teaching say that sort of gamifying things for people is a great way to get them to learn things. And I guess I'm a little bit radical in the same way that you are. So it's like, well, why not just gamify life, you know? I mean, that doesn't that doesn't mean that reality is any less real or that struggles are any less real, yeah. but it sort of affects the way that you think about your own progress. And it... it um, can help you put things into perspective of being like, well, you know, if if uh, if if uh, if Cloud can you know defeat Shin Bahamut in um, Advent Children with the help of his th- friends throwing him against physics, <laughs> well, why can't I do the same thing in my own context? You know, yeah, yeah. right. I, I think I think it's this idea that all these um, RPG games are purpose driven, and sometimes life tends to feel like there's no purpose mm-hmm. for it. And this mm-hmm. building this brand gives us purpose and yeah. Yeah. it gives us something to look forward to. And sure. Because it's, it's actually scary when you wake up and you're wondering like, what am, what am I doing? Like, I mean, what am I gonna mm-hmm. do next? I mean, my, my day job can't be the most exciting part of my life. That because right. right. the moment it starts to feel like that, that's like, that's kind of really depressing. So, mm-hmm. um, Running, touch. yeah. So running Boomslang is it gives us this purpose, purpose, yeah. and yeah. we want to. It's, it's like a a mission, and I don't know what the end goal is, but the end goal is probably something quite big, and that's part of the challenge. Yeah, and, and <laughs> yeah. like kind of like you were talking about the advent children with like Cloud and his friends is um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know to to. You know, whoever is listening, it doesn't even like you. You may not even be an aspiring artist. Maybe you just want to create something. Um, uh, the, no matter how many trolls you made out there, there are going to be awesome people. You know, yep. just keep trudging, trudging along. You're going to meet awesome people who are just 
genuinely invested and interested in your success and your well-being so never you know never lose courage um on a personal note before we started boomslank um i was working at walgreens and honestly i was in that space where i'm just like I am content with just existing and going through the motions. It was my brother Justin that came up with the idea of, you know, hey, you like to draw, let's do something with this. And I'm like, all right, I'll draw. But as time went on, I, I was like, this, there's, this is a thing. Um, we went to the conventions and I met all these people. And it's something that I try to talk to the, the, to the young artists at the art space about is you know, the opportunities um, for, for artists um, to make a living doing their art. And um, kind of to your question about where do you see yourself um, in the future, I actually would, re I've actually fantasized about um, kind of opening up maybe a school or a, a design studio. Um, where like um, I have a design house with artists um, and they can get like commissions or make products because you'd be surprised actually it's not surprising it is um, a lot of people who are very talented young talented artists they have no idea of how to make money from art or even a semblance of a living I didn't I'm not a business person it's not in my nature but I've learned a lot from my brother and doing this over the years. Yeah. And some some people just need a Justin, right? They just need they just need a Justin indeed. <laughs> or you know, and, and I just I want to give I, I, I almost feel like I owe the universe something. And so I'm like, I want to give back with you know, Justin mentioned legacy. I wanna be like I wanna say like, hey, I've I, I, I helped um some some other artists kind of get get uh, their foot in um, mm -hmm. um, making a, a living off of art, which can sometimes be a tricky endeavor. Um, so mm -hmm. yeah, you know, as, at some point you want to look back and be like, hey, you know, how can I help uh, the, 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 the young talented people behind that are the young ones that are coming up. And so that's mm -hmm. kind of, um, man, maybe I'm getting old. <laughs> I never used to think like that, I'll tell you that, but uh, at some point. Wise old sagely advice. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, I hope that rambling makes sense. Oh, it does. Absolutely. 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 Well, guys, I think that brings us to the end of our episode. Thank you again, you guys, so very much for coming onto our show and telling your story. So where where can people contact you guys on the internet? Where can they follow you or find your, your wonderful wares? So basically everything, so it's boomslang.com and then every social media channel is at boomslang, right? So... Facebook page is Boomslang, uh, Twitter handle is Boomslang, Instagram is Boomslang, um, YouTube actually. Now we're on YouTube, we're trying to um, put out uh, video content uh, of David and various little things. And that too is also Boomslang. Uh, that's our YouTube channel. So Boomslang everything. They could, you know. That's how the, uh, your listeners can contact. Yeah, actually, I watched every single one of your YouTube videos in preparation for this uh, for this interview. <laughs> so uh, it's you guys have a really great channel over there, and I saw that you guys just put up some new stuff uh, just a couple days ago. Right. So we have like um, a small uh, videographer team that we work with, and they do a great job. And because Anime Expo wasn't happening, so we figured we could 
do something in remembrance of Anime Expo, and um, that came out quite well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and David, I loved your uh, your explanations on uh, Pantones. That was very very yeah, educational. That was cool. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was like, there's gonna be like only two percent of the people watching this video that are go- that are gonna get um, derived value from that. But I am happy <laughs> if it's you know, uh, touched on someone who was getting into apparel. So. Oh, it, it was actually fairly engaging because there were people who were curious about that and that found it quite helpful. So I think it, it definitely did its job as far as like, Fantastic. yeah, you know, um, being a little instructive and helpful and not just trying to sell stuff to people. And that was actually mm-hmm. um, our videographer's idea. So like just back to that whole arts kind of being a catalyst for one another. Um, a lot of times, like the, especially with the what ideas we have for the videos, like she comes up with them, and so so yeah yeah I can't fully take credit for that, but um, I think it just goes to show that sometimes the things that you're gonna think are the most boring or most dry topics end up really taking off, and that's definitely true in our podcasting space as well because we've we've done episodes on things that are like very old, very esoteric and that we didn't think modern audiences would really care to hear about, but they've ended up become becoming like some of our most popular mm-hmm. episodes. So you never really know. Yeah, you yeah. yeah, sometimes you can't call them. Like you think you have it figured out and you'd be very surprised. You always got to maintain that things can be unpredictable. Yes. Mm-hmm. Precisely. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. Well, again, thank you guys so very much and we hope to see you at the next convention whenever they uh, start happening again. Yeah. Oh yeah, thanks uh, thanks again Austin Certainly. and Tori. Yeah, it was such a welcome. it was an absolute pleasure talking to you both. All right, that's been our show for this week. Thank you again so very much to Justin and David from Boomslank for coming on the show and letting us talk to them about their awesome art that they make. If you want to figure out more information about Boomslank or place an order for any of their wonderful t-shirts, prints, phone cases, etc., etc., you can go over to their website, which is just boomslank.com. If you'd like to support us at the Third Impact Anime Podcast, you can do that most easily by just listening to our episodes or sharing them with a friend. If you have a couple extra bucks that you don't mind parting ways with, we have a Patreon and a Ko-fi page. Our Patreon is patreon.com slash thirdimpactanime, and our Ko-fi is ko-fi.com slash thirdimpactanime. You can also follow us on Twitter at ti underscore anime, and you can follow me on Twitter at bebopshock. Again, thank you guys so much for listening, and we'll see you in the next episode.